Hi, I'm Anthony Sharon, pastor of First Assembly of God of Greater Lansing, better known as GL First. I hope this message connects you to God's Word and His vision for your life. You can find out more about us at glfirst.org. Thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. As a youth pastor of this amazing church, let me give you guys a little reality check, if you may, on what's going on in the lives of our youth and the society nowadays. Did you guys know that two-thirds, or about 66% of young people ages from 18 to 22, after high school, drop out out of the church? They leave church. Two-thirds. It's a big chunk of numbers. These are at least young people who attended church for at least a year or four years. After high school, they leave. And there are five main reasons why, they said. They did the... And they did a survey. Five reasons why young people leave church after high school. 34, 34% of them, they move out to college and stop attending church. 32% church members, they believe that seems judgmental and hypocritical. 29% didn't feel like connected to people at church. 25% disagreed with the church stance on political or social issues. And 24% out of that 66%, they have work responsibility prevented them from attending church. It was the church in Nashville who did this survey back 2017. The challenges that we are facing right now as Christians when it comes to young people, it's not just, not anymore, it's not just atheism, agnosticism, evolution, or whatnot. It's not anymore. It evolved, no pun intended, it evolved to different things, and that's apathy. Say with me, apathy. Apathy, apathy is the idea of not caring anymore. They don't care. It's not that they don't want to believe in God. It's not that they don't want to believe in Christianity or not believe in going to church, but it's just that they don't care. They don't care if you're Christians. They don't care if you tell them about God. They just don't care. We always say, um, I moved here with my parents, Moved here in 2012 from the Philippines. Um, as you can tell, I'm Filipino. I'm not Puerto Rican. <laughs> but we say all the time that America needs God. That everybody needs God. Don't get me wrong. I believe that. I strongly believe that. I totally agree. But we Christians have been known to do it the wrong way. Even though, in my opinion, we're not worse at it. We are terrible in telling other people, non-believers, that they need God. But we're not worse at it. Because some, some religions, some countries, they what? They kick out, they beat up non-believers, they burn non-believers, they kill them. But for us, we're just, we're just doing it the wrong way. Now, this made me think and realize how we deal and face not just teenagers, but also other people when it comes to their lifestyle and experiencing Christ in their lives. Now, this brought me back to the story of Zacchaeus. You guys know the story of Zacchaeus, right? Sunday school, Zacchaeus, tax collector, small guy, went up and climbed the tree to see Jesus. Yeah, that guy. In Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. If you have your Bibles with you, open it with me, and let's read it. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. I'm reading it in ESV version. 
Verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Let's talk about a little bit, uh, a little bit a background about Luke. Luke is the author of the book of Luke. And it's one of the greatest, I believe, one of the greatest gospels in the Bible. For sure, my top four favorite gospel in the Bible. <laughs> Luke is one of the smartest, if not the smartest person in the New Testament. He's Greek. <laughs> He's a Greek physician and an evangelist. He wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And a lot of scholars believe that the things that he wrote are exactly what happened. Nothing less, nothing more. And very detailed. He either saw them himself or asked multiple eyewitnesses. He also referenced the other synoptic gospels, such as mainly Mark, and talked with Matthew about other gospels in the Bible. Um, and you notice that there are a lot of stories in there or events in the book of Luke that did not happen in Mark or Matthew, like the, you know, the Sermon on the Mount or Plain. Uh, John the Baptist preaching in Luke 3, the Lord's Prayer, and the parable of the great banquet. And one of the unique stories in the gospel that Luke is the sole proprietor is the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Now, I know, I don't know, I don't know if you guys remember, the last time I preached, I talked about Zacchaeus. And I preached this before. But God impressed me to take a second look with a different perspective on this famous and beloved story in the Bible. Zacchaeus was considered a sinner and one of the most hated people in Jericho because he is a tax collector. But after his encounter with Jesus, some scholars said he became a pastor in Caesarea. So make me think, what did he experience when he encountered Jesus that led him to change his ways and life after when Jesus left. See the connection with the high schoolers after high school, they drop out of church. Now Zacchaeus experienced Jesus, but when Jesus left, he stayed as a Christian, changed his life. Let's talk about this, three things, because we're in Sebulus of God, we, all have, we always have three-point message. So I'm gonna do three-point message. In Luke 19, verses two to three, we see here the encounter of Zacchaeus with Jesus this encounter that happened to him, I pray that we would do when it comes to non-believers. The first thing, the first point, we can't change someone who's unwilling. Say that to the person right next to you, eye to eye. You can't change someone who's unwilling. In verse 3, it says that Zacchaeus was seeking. 
What does that mean? That means he was looking, finding, pursuing, willing, and other more English synonymous words for seeking. Nobody forced him, right? The crowd didn't drag him. The tree didn't pick him up and put him in front of Jesus. Nobody, nobody forced him. Zacchaeus was not, that, was, not, was not that guy, and his friends were doing this dance move so he can join them doing chicken dance in a wedding reception. Nobody forced him to see Jesus. Nobody did. Let me, let me ask you guys this. Who here received uh, unsolicited opinion? Received or given unsolicited opinion? Mm. Those opinions that you didn't ask for, but they just feel like telling you, right? They give you opinions about your look, your dress, your marriage. Oh, you know, happy life, happy wife. It's never like happy house, what? Happy spouse, quiet house. It's never like that. It's always like happy wife, happy life. Your pregnancy, the way you raise your kids, you raise your pets, the way you raise your lawns. <laughs> Every single occurrence in our lives, you always receive or be a victim of unsolicited opinion. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever received or given unsolicited correction? Not opinion, correction or rebukes. This is when we think we have the need to, to correct someone and want them to change whatever they are doing based on our own perspective of truth or ways without the receiver's consent or first-hand approval. In short, you corrected them, but they, they didn't ask for it. As Christians, we are notorious in doing this. We are fast to cast judgment and exhibit unsolicited correction to other people. See, as an immigrant, I receive a lot of unsolicited correction, specifically on the way I speak in English, the way I pronounce things, conjunct phrases, build sentences. So this is what I do. What I do, because I believe that we immigrants study more about American English and American history more than anybody else in America. So I give them a full English lesson. I tell them, well, if that's the case, well, explain to me how you guys pluralize words. So you went for sheep, and what's the plural of sheep? Sheep, shoop. When you, go, when you go to goose, what's the plural of goose? Geese, but what happened to moose, not meese? And then you go to child and it's children. What? What's going on? Okay, you need to make up your mind. And then I was like, okay, well, they're like, well, it's just the plural thing. All right, let's talk about nicknames. What's the nickname of William? Bill. Bill. Mm, okay, all right. The Anthony and Tony kind of make sense. You know, I give you that. I give you that, right? I give you that. But what happened to Robert? Ooh, where's Bob? And poor Richard. What? It's Rick, not what? What are you guys thinking about? It's Rick. That's the nickname for Richard. So I tell him that. So I get a lot of unsolicited corrections. The point is, we need to stop trying to correct people or change people if they think there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. Let me say it again. We need to stop trying to correct people or change people if they think and believe there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. Like the story of Alice in Alice in Wonderland, um, and he encountered the Cheshire, right? Cheshire cat, not Cheshire. Am I right? Che Cheshire. Okay. 
All right, it's one of those English words that I can't pronounce. Um, Cheshire Cat, right? Alice said, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? The cat said, well, that depends where you want to go. Alice said, well, I don't really care. The cat said, well, it doesn't matter where you want to go. So Alice said, so as long as I get somewhere. And the, finally, the cat said, you're sure to do that if only you walk long enough. If they don't care, if they think they're doing something right, if they think what they're doing is right, why correct them? What is the first rule of treating a wound? You guys know? What is the first rule of treating a wound or scratch? What? Clean it? All right, what else? Cover it? Here's the first rule of treating a wound. Recognizing that you have a wound. Right? You have to recognize that you have a wound. We watch, my wife loves Grace Anatomy. And we love watching um, doctor medical shows. And they always ask, where does it hurt? Right? Because you have to recognize that there's a part of your life that hurts. If you don't think there's a wound, there's no point of treating it. You can give all of the corrections, rebukes, opinions, suggestions, whatever, to someone if they don't see any problems with what they're doing, it wouldn't matter. And yes, I'm also talking about social media. I see you. Welcome, by the way, and thank you for joining us and watching this Facebook um, Live. We appreciate you guys. But I see you. I know what you're doing. I know what you're posting. You are dropping hints to people and maybe hoping people will change their minds and their ways. Well, guess what? It won't. It won't change their minds. Because most likely, most likely they don't think they're doing something wrong. But you know what they know? They know this, that they will never associate themselves around you. Let's go back to Zacchaeus. This man seeked for Jesus. He intentionally looked for him. He knew he needed Jesus in his life. He knew life would be better if Jesus was with him or if he was with Jesus. That richness, wealth, Status in life are worth nothing compared to the greatness of at least knowing who Jesus was. Picture this. This dude was rich. And he climbed a tree. He's rich and he climbed a tree just to see Jesus. Zacchaeus seeking for Jesus is a perfect reflection of knowing the need for change in his life. Seeking it's the first act of knowing that there's a need for change. The Bible is very clear about this. We need to understand that for change to happen, we need to seek him first. Proverbs 8:17 said, those who seek me diligently find me. Isaiah 55:6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Jeremiah 29:13, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Changes will, changes will start to happen in their lives as soon as they realize there's something that needs to be done. The changes needs to be done. And that's seeking, seeking God. 
What up, Pastor Anthony? Oh, I'm not Anthony. I'm AJ. Oh, same thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor uh, AJ, please take a seat. All right. You here for another cut today? Yeah, haircut. Okay. All right, right. I'm okay with that. Hold tight. Uh, same cut? Yes. Right. Please. You know what? You're a pastor, right? Yeah. I've been meaning to tell you something. Okay. You're putting this the wrong way, by the way. The other okay, way. I, uh, You've never cut hair before? Stop it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> this way. This way. There you go. Perfect. All right. Same thing. Anyway. All right. Anyways. But I've been meaning to tell you something. Okay. I don't know how you believe it, but I don't believe in God. Huh. Interesting. Why do you say that? I mean... Look at it. Look at the world. There's so much evil in the world, man. Mm -hmm. I, how can there be a real God out there? How can, if there was a God, none of the evil in this world would be right? I mean, what happened? That's interesting. Well, if that's the case, then I don't believe in barbers. Wait, what? I'm right here. How can you not believe in a barber? Well, if barbers exist, there wouldn't be people with long hair. Oh, speaking of long hair, do you want it short on this yeah, side? Yeah, right here. Okay. Well, let me get my tool. Well, they all need to see me. All those guys with long hair just need to come to see me, and I'll, I'll make them nice and good looking. Exactly. Wait. Oh. Wait, what? So seeking is, the, seeking is the first thing that they need to do. You love that? That's what youth pastors do. Things like this. Just like that illustration. They just need to see the barber. They need to see God. They need to seek Him first so changes will happen in their lives. If someone needs change, they will seek it. You wouldn't have to tell them to change. Like insurance. If you need a better insurance, you go seek it, right? You don't, you don't need other people telling you that you need to change. You don't need watching Geico commercials with that little lizard. If you need change, you will look for better insurance. I don't sell insurance, so you're fine. We are farmers. So they will just go and find it. Unsolicited correction weakens transformation. Let me say it again. Unsolicited corrections weakens transformation. It, is strength, it, it strengthens their principle. When you give someone unsolicited correction, most likely they will most likely they will strongly believe what they start to believe. You won't be able to convince them. My old youth pastor told me that he has never seen, he has never seen two individuals strengthen their relationship over Facebook argument. You will never see that. Someone said, you know what? After our debate and argument on Facebook, you're my best friend now. You'll never see it. The first thing is we can't change someone who's unwilling. Second one, as Christians, we are not just known to be giver of unsolicited correction. We are, it also comes with a big package, just like one of those info commercial. But wait, there's more. It also comes with harshness. We're harsh about it. We can't change someone with harshness. Man, we are, we are mean. Not all of us. Not, not this church. We're nice to people. But Christians, we are mean to sinners. We tend to be more aggressive about our faith. Radicals, if you may. But that's not what Jesus did. Let's, look, let's see Zacchaeus. I feel like I'm not in the middle. 
Um, let's see Zacchaeus. He had two main problems, right? Two main problems. Is that bothering you? Yeah. She got OCD. So she got two main problems. He's short and the crowd. His stature was not his fault. Him being short is not his fault. He was born with it. But his actions and decisions matter. Now let's look at the crowd. That's his first problem, his stature. The second problem is the crowd. Let's look at the crowd. The crowd stood in front of him. Knowing that he is short and couldn't see Jesus. This might be intentional or subconsciously. Intentional because they hated Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. They hated him. So he would block him. Subconsciously because they just want to see Jesus. Subconsciously they want to block everybody. Because I want to see Jesus. They know how amazing he is. They know he's loving. They know he's forgiving. He's awesome. All that. But not for Zacchaeus. Not for the sinners. This crowd believed that Jesus is loving, except for Zacchaeus and the sinners. This is how we treat non-believers. We want them so much to meet Jesus, but we are mean to them. It's like telling someone this. Hey, Isaiah, my friend wants to meet you, and he's very understanding. He will accept you for who you are, but I don't want you wearing that. Oh, you look good, by the way. You know what I'm saying? We tell people about Jesus, but you're like, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. He's forgiving. He's loving. He loves you for who you are. He will accept you, but his stature was not his fault. He probably grew up believing that being a tax collector is awesome. It's a great job with awesome money and insurance, medical benefits, 401k, all that. He probably thinks... Being a tax collector is awesome. You got a Roth IRA. The point is, he didn't know he could have a better life than richness, sin, and all that. It's like when I get mad with my one-year-old. I yell at my one-year-old, Ariel. You know, when she plays with her food, she'll grab the food and throw it all over the place. I get mad at her and yell, Ariel, stop doing that. You know what my wife say all the time? Pastor AJ. Actually, she doesn't call me Pastor AJ at home. Let me, let me go back. She calls me AJ, but when she's mad, she's like, Aaron Jose. Aaron Jose. That's my name, by the way. Um, said, AJ, she's one. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. She's one. It'd be weird if I'm be the one playing with my food and throwing it all over the place. She doesn't know better. Now, in verse 7, we see that the same crowd, he's, he's what got me when I was studying this passage. In verse 7, if you go back to verse 7, we see that the same crowd, when they saw Jesus, or when they saw Zacchaeus with Jesus, this is what they said, how amazing to see someone taking a step closer to Jesus. Is that what the crowd said? No. What the crowd said? They grumbled and said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That's what the crowd said. If you reread that passage, Jesus called him lost, not a sinner. Luke called him tax collector, rich and short, but never a sinner. Who called him sinner? The crowd. The crowd called him sinner. 
Now, some Christians will tell me then, well, the Bible said, I don't know why whenever we try to mock other people, we go with the, whoa, no, 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 you know, it's never like, yeah, well, the Bible said to correct them, rebuke them. It's always like when you're trying to mock and copy their voices, it's always like a deeper voice, whoa, the Bible said to correct them. So a lot of Christians will tell me then, well, the Bible said to correct them, rebuke them, expose them. The Bible said that. Then quote me verses about, you know, about rebuking people. To which I tell them, what verses? Proverbs, are you talking about Proverbs 27.5, that open rebuke is better than secret love? Because that verse is talking about your family and your friends. And this should be done in secret or closed door, not in open, not in social media. Or maybe you're talking about Luke 17.3, because that verse said, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Your brother your Christian, your fellow Christian, when they sin, rebuke them. And if he repents, forgive them. Or maybe you're talking about Galatians 6.1. Galatians 6.1 said, brother, if anyone, oh, there you go. It says anyone, not just Christians. It says anyone. Okay. It says anyone is caught in any transgressions. What else did that verse say? You who are spiritual. It says spiritual, not religious. It says spiritual, not law-abiding. It says spiritual, not churchgoer. It says spiritual. We Pentecostals, we know what spiritual means. Spiritual, asking God what to say, what to do. Spiritual, who reads the Bible and listens to God. And it says spiritual should restore him, not kick him out, not shame him, not ridicule them. It says restore him in spirit of gentleness. Spirit of gentleness. Now, you probably ask me, then, Pastor AJ, what should I do then? If I can't rebuke them and correct them, what's the solution? What can I do? The Bible said in Luke 19, 4, so he ran on ahead and, um, and climbed into a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore tree to see him. Let's look at this tree, this sycamore tree. This tree was short, right? Short. It's easy to reach and brought fruit that typically, the fruits in the sycamore tree, typically beggars and homeless people eat them. And I believe that God placed that tree specifically for the sole purpose of having Zacchaeus climb that tree. Nothing else. Because if you think about it, there's no reason for that tree to be there. Jericho is a, it's an oasis. It's a rich city. And then you put a sycamore tree in there that attracts beggars. There's no reason for that tree to be there. It attracts poor people. Now, Zacchaeus probably hated that tree. He probably hated that tree because it attracts poor people. He's rich. Don't forget, he's rich. He's a tax collector. He probably hated the tree because it's short and he saw no purpose for it. And because it attracts poor people, these poor, poor, poor people don't pay taxes. They, they, they can't afford to pay tax, so it won't give him wealth or money. He hated that tree. But think about this. This tree helped him to see Jesus. Help him to see Jesus. Non-believers will hate us, no matter what. But just like this tree, we should be there to help them and guide them to see Jesus. So my question to you, my fellow laborers in Christ, are you the crowd or are you the tree? 
Are you the crowd or are you the tree? It's ironic if you think about it that we proclaim to the world that we are Christ followers and Christ and Jesus is loving, forgiving and all that, but sinners hate us. We proclaim to the world that we follow Jesus, but they despise us and they're scared of us. And I'm not saying we should accept their sin. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should accept their sin and agree on everything they say. We still need to take a hold of the truth. Because Romans 12, 2 said, To not be conformed to this world, because even Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was lost. Do not conform in this world, because he knows Zacchaeus was still lost. I want this. Okay, you can do whatever you want. But you think it's wrong. Yeah, because I want best for you. I think it's wrong, yeah. Ha, you're just trying to control me. No, you can do whatever you want. But you think it's wrong though. I do, because I only want best for you. I want you to say, this is good. No, I can't do that. Why do you hate me? Ephesians 4.15 says, instead of speaking the truth in love, instead, Paul said, instead, speak the truth in love. They will hate us because they know what we believe. They don't like it. They want what they believe. They want us to believe what they believe. But Paul said, speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. First one is you can't change the unwilling. Second, you can't change with harshness. You can't change someone with harshness. The third one, and this is really important, we can't change someone. Only God can. We can't change someone. Only God can. In Luke 19, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Hurry, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. In youth ministry, I've been in youth ministry. Thanks for joining us. I hope this message blessed you. Our goal is to connect you to God's people, God's word, and his mission for your life. You can find out more about us at glfirst.org. Again, that's glfirst.org. Hope to see you next week. God bless.